I only just discovered this story, and it's by the same author as Editha's Burglar. I think I might like this one even better, and I'll explain why when the story's over. The First Knife in the World by Francis Hodgson Burnett The clan lived in a small house on one of the roads in St. John's Wood, London. It was a rather shabby house, and there was a high brick wall round the rather shabby garden. And inside the wall, the clan played adventures, and heard the buses and carts and cabs go rattling by outside on the road. The clan was composed of David, Robert, Malcolm, and Margaret Farquhar, who were the children of a poor gentleman, who, though he was only an unsuccessful solicitor in the city, was of an ancient and once great Scottish family. That was why the children called themselves the clan, and played adventures and besieging of castles. In a corner of the garden, under a rather sooty plane tree, there was a tumble-down summer-house, which was the castle. They had once besieged Malcolm in it for hours and hours, and he had only surrendered for want of provisions, at tea-time. There is no end to the wild adventures a clan can have. "'And we are a clan,' David often said, "'though we are quite poor and live in London, "'instead of being great and powerful "'as we were hundreds and hundreds of years ago. "'You can be a clan in the North End Road "'as much as you can in a feudal castle in the Highlands. "'We Farquhars are one, and Angus is our chieftain.' The Farquhars were fonder of their cousin Angus than of anyone else in the world but their father and mother, who were delightful and amusing, though they never had any money to buy things. Angus was a boy whom you could not help liking, and who was, in a way, like a sort of story in himself. In the first place, though he was only twelve years old, he was a chieftain. He was not very rich, but his name was Sir Angus Farquhar, and he was the owner of a huge castle which had towers and battlements and dungeons and torture chambers, and stood on a frowning rock looking out over the sea. His father died while Angus was a baby, and so he was Sir Angus when he was in long clothes. That made him seem different from other boys— but he was also different in a much more interesting way. He had lived in his castle alone with his mother, who was very wonderful and handsome, and his greatest pleasure had been that he was allowed to read as much as he liked in the immense old library. He had read the most marvelous books, and learned the most curious facts— even grown-up people were surprised when they found how familiar he was with strange and ancient things, things about history and science and weird monkish learning. But he only knew them because he had a passion for books, and the great library had such singular and fascinating volumes in it, and his castle was so huge and still. He had a faithful manservant whose name was Hamish. Hamish attended him everywhere, and had taught him to swim and fish and ride and sail a boat. 
He was a big man whose simple mind was full of legends and romances and tales of second sight. Angus never forgot any of them, and he could tell them better than Hamish could himself. That was what made him different from anyone else. He said he could see things. That was what he called it. When he told his stories to the clan, he covered his eyes with his hands and talked, and they listened with bated breath. His eyes were very dark blue and looked as if he could see into faraway places. Perhaps he did see things other people could not. The clan liked to think so, and his stories sounded as if he did. Once, Margaret privately asked her father if he thought Angus did see things, or if he only thought he saw them. She was so solemn about it that Mr. Farquhar looked a little serious himself, even though he smiled. "'Well, I think he is a sort of seer, perhaps,' he said. "'A seer, you know, means a person who can see what the rest of the world cannot. He has read so much and thought so much that he knows curious things, and his imagination is so strong that he can call up pictures.' Lady Farquhar liked Mr. Farquhar and the clan, and because of that Angus was allowed now and then to come and visit them at their small home and play with them in the St. John's Wood garden. It was on his second visit that he told them the story of the first knife in the world. They had been together to the British Museum and had spent the morning looking at ancient things— mummies and fossils and prehistoric relics and strange jeweled volumes monks had written long centuries ago. In one case there had been queer objects which looked as if they had been hacked out of flint. They had scarcely any shape at all, and the clan could barely believe the labels which said they were weapons. Angus stood close to the case and looked at the things as if he could not take his queer eyes off of them. He was so intent that he seemed to forget that the clan was pressing about him. He evidently did not hear what the clansmen were saying, for he did not answer when he was spoken to. Margaret thought he looked a little pale and odd, and she stopped asking questions and watched him. It was several minutes before he gave a slight start— and looked around with a half-laugh. "'I forgot where I was,' he said. "'What were you thinking of?' Margaret asked him. "'That sharp piece of stone,' he answered, pointing to a bit of flint in the case. "'Perhaps, I say, clansman, perhaps that was the first knife in the world. I was wondering who made it.' "'That? That? Which? Which? cried the clan, crowding round the case. But Margaret was staring in awe at Angus. I believe you were seeing things, she exclaimed. He laughed again, but he nodded his head. Yes, I was. A little, he answered. He was seeing things, Margaret said to the others. Things about that sharp flint. Then the clan deserted the glass case and crowded round Angus. "'Will you tell us about it? Tell us this afternoon,' they besought. "'Will you, chieftain?' He said he would, and so 
he did. It was a fine afternoon, and the sunshine made the shabby-walled garden quite nice. The grass looked green, and the nasturtiums and geraniums and lobelia were brilliant, and the wind rustled the leaves of the plane tree and the laburnum, and the sound of the rattling buses, cabs, and carts was quite cheerful as it came over the garden wall. The clansmen spread themselves in a circle on the grass, and fixed their eyes on the chieftain, who sat in the middle. He had been very quiet ever since he left the British Museum, and had hardly spoken at all during lunch. Margaret secretly watched him, because she specially liked to look at him when he had that queer, far-away expression in his eyes. She was sure that at such times he was being a seer, as her father had called him. Margaret adored mysterious things, and she liked to have a cousin who was at the same time a chieftain and a seer. He sat quite still for several minutes after they had spread themselves into the circle, and his queer, deep eyes were fixed on the grass. Margaret believed he could not even hear the rattle of the cabs and buses. He looked as if he heard nothing except something inside his mind to which he was listening. The clansmen were delighted. There was something like cheerful awe on their round boy faces. "'Are you beginning to see, chieftain?' David asked at last. "'Yes,' answered Angus, in a low, dreamy voice. "'But what I see is a long, long, long way off. It is so far away that it is quite dim. I shall have to wait.' So they all waited, though they grew more excited every second. "'Is it getting clearer?' David asked again, and his whisper was quite hollow. Angus had covered his eyes with his hand, and his voice sounded rather like a bell being rung far away. "'It is getting clearer and clearer, but it is so long ago. Clansmen, can I make you understand?' "'We will try, chieftain.' they answered. "'How long ago?' put in Malcolm. "'Thousands and thousands and thousands of years, countless ages.' "'I say,' breathed David, in ecstasy. "'Before there were men like those who live today, before human beings had learned to walk always on two legs, before they had real language.' before they had found out that they were different from other animals. This piece of the world was cold as Lapland, and there was no sea between it and what we call the continent. "'What was it called then?' said David. "'Nothing. Nothing was called anything. There were no words, only sounds that meant being angry or hungry or wanting to fight.' That was all there was in a human thing. We had not learned how to think. "'What was a human thing like? Can you see?' said Margaret, leaning forward, staring enraptured, 
an elbow on each knee, and a cheek in each hand. He was a stunted, hairy savage, and if he was not strong and swift, wild beasts or the other human things killed him. He had no weapon but his hands and feet and teeth. He did not know that he needed them. He could climb and swing himself from tree to tree better than the four-footed ones could. He had nothing to fight with until the boy came who made the first knife in the world. "'A boy! A boy!' shouted the clan in chorus. "'Can you see him?' "'Wait a little,' answered Angus, in the low, clear voice like a distant bell. "'It is all so far away, far away. "'He is coming out of the dimness.' Wait. The circle held its breath, and not one pair of eyes stirred from the chieftain's face. Not a clansman could have moved if he had tried. At last, Angus's strange voice broke the silence and went on with the story. It is cold, 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 he said. I see that the whole world looks gray. I see a great sheet of water. It cannot be a sea, because huge monsters come dragging themselves down to the shore to drink. The human things fly when they hear them coming. They cannot kill them, because they are too huge. How huge? asked David. They are mammoths, many times bigger than elephants. Some have scaly hides and monstrous dragging tails. Some are covered with woolly hair. It was because he was so afraid of them that the boy began to think. He did not know that it was thinking, but it was. It was putting two thoughts together. The others did not do that. He liked to stay by the water, and it made him sit still and watch it and that made the beginning of thought. "'Did he look like the others?' said Margaret. "'A little different, just a little. Sometimes, but very seldom, there was one born whose head was not quite the same shape as the heads of the others. His body was not quite so hairy. He made a few more sounds, and he walked oftener on two legs. But no one noticed,' because noticing is thinking, and they could not fasten thoughts together. The boy was that kind of human thing. He was taller than other boys. He liked to walk on two legs. He had larger eyes, and they were not always shifting about. They sometimes looked at things. "'I like him,' said Margaret. "'So do I,' said Robert, who was the youngest.' "'Just think of a fellow making the first knife in the world!' And he fumbled in the pocket of his knickerbockers. He was sometimes unhappy when he sat by the water. He did not know it was unhappiness, and because he believed it was hunger, he stuffed himself with raw fish when he could catch some with his hands. But the truth was that he really wanted things that were not in the world then. He felt as we fellows feel when we say, I want something to do. 
He was tired of running away from mammoths and wolves and bears, and he was tired of rolling about and fighting with the other boy things who could make so few sounds. But mind you, he did not know that this was what was the matter. "'Where did he live?' asked Margaret softly. "'In trees, because there he was safest from wild beasts. But if you slept too soundly, mammoths could root trees up and tear and trample them to bits. His father and mother had driven him away from them as soon as he was big enough to kill things and grub up roots for himself.' They had never liked him, because he was a little different. One of the things he wanted, and did not know about, was a home. There were no homes in the world. That was one reason why he thought he was hungry when he sat by the great gray lake. "'I am sorry for him,' said Margaret. "'It will be better when he makes the knife,' whispered David. One day, when he sat by the water, he had the hungry feeling so badly that he began to make a new kind of sound. It was not the hungry sound, or the fear sound, or the fighting one, and he had not known he was going to make it. Things could only happen by chance in those days, because there was no reasoning. He made his sound over and over again, because he liked to hear it. Angus stopped a few seconds and they knew he was listening. It is millions and millions of years ago, and there were no words, and there were no homes, but this is what it said. I am lonely. I am lonely. I want not to be afraid. I want not to be alone. I want a place to live in. I want to make something with my hands. I want. I want. I want. But he did not know it said that when he chanted it over and over again. I'm glad he made the knife, said Robert, with a slight gulp. Angus went on. There were stones lying about him, and he picked one up and began to play with it. His way of playing was only to knock it very hard against another, bigger piece of stone. He knocked and knocked and knocked, and suddenly a piece broke off it and made it look long and narrow. The minute when he saw that was the first time he fastened one thought to another. The thing which came into his mind was that if he knocked the piece of flint many times more, he could make it narrower and sharper. After he had knocked it a little, he had another thought— he began to rub it against the other piece and grind it. It pleased him so much to do it that he forgot the hungry feeling and began to make another new sound. It was not the glad I am fed sound or the glad I killed the other man sound. It was... And Angus stopped and listened again, and the clansmen's hearts almost beat aloud when he went on. It is millions of years ago, and there was no language, and there were no inventions and no fame, but this was what it said. I have done a new thing. I have made, I have made, I have made. 
joy, world, joy, world, joy. Hooray, 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 shouted the clansmen, but they shouted under their breath. Go on, chieftain, go on. He ground it and hammered it and hammered it and ground it until drops of sweat rolled down his body. He liked the work so much that he made new sounds all the time. The feeling he had believed was hunger was quite gone, and there was another kind of feeling in its place, a new one which he had never felt before. Wild beasts came down to drink, and there were monsters among them. "'Ah, I see, I see!' Angus cried out exultantly. "'He is not afraid of them. He forgets they are there. He grinds and hammers and beats the flint and sings. And they look at him, and because they have never heard sounds like these in the world before, they do not understand. And it is they who are afraid of the human thing. He is calling out, "'I make! I make!' and no human thing had ever uttered that sound since the earth was created. "'Hooray! Hooray! Hooray!' shouted the clansmen, and they shouted it aloud. At last the narrow flint was pointed and sharp, so sharp that the boy cut his own fingers with it. But he did not care for that, and only laughed when he saw the drops of blood. The sight of them made him fasten other thoughts together. If he could cut himself with the pointed flint, he could cut wild beasts, perhaps even kill monsters if he could make a flint thing big enough. It was strange how different he felt. That was because he began to think a little, and he had never done it before. In the past he had only eaten a great deal and jumped about and made noises. He began to feel as if he had always been asleep, and was slowly awakening and looking about him for the first time. He sat still and looked out on the great gray water. He looked at the deep forest which extended so far that no human thing he knew had ever come to the end of it. In the forest lived the wild beasts the mammoths who trampled and tore down huge trees and shook the earth as they trod, the wolves and bears and small things which could be caught and eaten. In those days the human thing only thought of animals as enemies to kill or as food to be eaten. No one knew what kindness meant, but everyone knew the meaning of foes and hunger. The human thing fought against his foes, but did not defend his brothers. No one had ever thought of doing that. This day, that thought had come into the world. It came to the boy because he had made something and because he was different. As he sat with his pointed flint in his hand, he heard the sound of a small human thing behind him, and he looked round to see where it was. A brown, hairy, baby creature was trotting about the sand, playing and making chuckling noises and funny little whines of enjoyment. It had run away from its mother and was full of play and fun. It jumped up and down and chuckled and then rolled over and over, chuckling. 
it scratched a nest in the sand and plumped down into it to sit and toss stones and shells about. The boy watched it and began to like it, though he did not know why, but it was because his brain was working. He watched it for some time, and he was just beginning to make a chuckling noise himself when he saw something trotting softly but swiftly out of the forest. It was a gaunt gray wolf with big fangs, and he was making straight for the small human thing. Wolves liked them to eat, and snapped them up to carry to their dens whenever they found them alone. This wolf wanted the little plump brown one. Oh, cried out Margaret, don't let him! The boy had three thoughts almost at the same minute. He did not want the small thing to be snapped up and carried to the wolf's young. He had the long, sharp flint in his hand. He had cut his hand and could cut the wolf. He had never been so little afraid before. He sprang up and ran swiftly. The gray wolf was so intent on the small thing that he saw nothing else. The boy sprang upon him and struck downward into his backbone. He was strong and struck hard, and the wolf reared, howled, and fell down. Then the boy dragged out his sharpened flint and struck again till the wolf was dead. He thought two more thoughts. He had saved the small thing, and he had done it with the weapon he had made. He did not think of walking on all fours as he went round and round the dead gray wolf and the small thing. He walked upright and held his head high, swelling his chest and making more new sounds. "'What did they mean?' cried the clan. "'Can you hear the meaning?' "'Yes, though they come across millions of years, they come clear.' I am man. I make that which was not in the world before. I save as well as kill. I am man. I am man. What did the small thing do? asked Margaret. It looked at him and chuckled, and then it crawled out of its sand nest and played with the dead wolf, and at last it fell asleep, with its head resting against the wolf's thick gray coat and the boy stood by and watched over it, so that if other wolves came, he could strike again with the flint. He was pleased with the sounds he made, which said, I save as well as kill. I am man. Angus's voice trailed away into silence, and the clan sat and gazed at him, until suddenly David leaped up and cried, Let us make the sound! We are men. We are men. We can save as well as kill. We are men. They danced about and shouted it in such wild exultation that people walking in the street turned round to look at the wall which shut the tumult in, and the people who sat on the top of the passing buses craned their necks to look over it. It was so loud that it brought Angus back from the place where he saw things. He uncovered his eyes and sat looking at the grass plot and the geraniums and lobelia with a queerer expression than ever. I feel as if I had just awakened from a dream, 
he said very slowly. It was so far away. It was millions of years ago, and— "'What a row you are making, clansmen, and, and how the buses go rattling by!' And he laughed a little, as he had laughed in the British Museum. And that was the end of the story. I hope you enjoyed The First Knife in the World. Let me tell you what I liked about it. First, it was just so fanciful, so delightfully imaginative. I want to have a backyard clan with my siblings. I want a cousin who lives in a castle in Scotland with towers and dungeons and a great library, and who can see things. Well, maybe he can see things. At the very least, he's really good at telling stories. But what I like most of all is the particular story that Cousin Angus tells. Because on the surface, it's a story about the first knife in the world. But I think of it as a celebration of what it means to be a human being. You've heard, maybe, that human beings evolved from animals. This story imagines what that turning point would look like, and it glories in what human beings are and do that is different from all the other animals. What exactly is that? If you want, you can pause this for a minute and think about it yourself. What, according to this story, does it mean to be a man? When you're ready, you can start it again, and I'll tell you what I think. I think this story is saying that to be human is to be able to think, to have ideas, and to put them together. It's to be able to really look at things, to focus on them with the goal of understanding. It is to feel a hunger, not of the body, but of something deeper, a hunger to do something different and to make something new. And it's to feel a satisfied sense of pride when you do. To be human is to love your fellow man and to yearn to protect him by making a tool to defend yourself or by building a home. When this story ended, I wanted to leap up with David and cry, We are men! We are men! I'd love to hear what you think of this story in the Children's Corner Facebook group. And I can't wait to share another one with you soon.